Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> you probably know that tomorrow's the end. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> And uh, as the end is in sight, some of you might be saying, thank God I made it to the finish line. But um, perhaps there's also the, the thought, I know a few people, oh, this is popping a little, is it just, uh, perhaps a, more than a few people have the, the, the thought, oh, I'm just settling in. Has that occurred to you? God, you, it took me all this time. I'm finally, I had a, the greatest sitting this, this afternoon, 2 o'clock, 2.30 to 3. Oh, oh, I have to go home. Yeah. <clears throat> and there is something about not only settling in, um, but also, uh, this is an extraordinary refuge, as we said at the very beginning. And although the, the schedule, if you're new to this, or maybe even if you're not new, might seem daunting at the beginning, sitting, walking, sitting, walk. anything else? Sitting, walking, <laughs> sitting, oh, lunch, okay, yeah. <laughs> yoga, um, There's also a kind of, um, after a while, a, a comfort in the structure. Like you don't have to think about what to do next. Has that crossed your mind? Oh, I'm walking. Oh, sitting. Okay, the bell rang, sitting. Bell rings, sitting. Oh, I walk. And there can be a really um, a wonderful relief in not having to think about what you're going to do in your life. That's going to change tomorrow. As you go home, there will be countless decisions throughout the day. What do I do now? What's the best thing to do? How can I really support my practice? How can I just give myself a break? You know, am I giving myself too much of a break? Am I getting lazy? Or... Is this, oh, that's compassion practice. That's, this is wisdom practice, okay. <laughs> Not to mention what of 20 different tasks will make it to the top of your list. And how to do that in a way that really brings some of what you've touched here into your life. Lots of decisions, lots of thoughts, lots of things to figure out. You have actually, throughout the day here, lots of different decisions. You know, there you are, sitting. Well, should I pay attention to the breath? Or here's this sensation going on now that's kind of drawing me. Oh, should I notice that? Well, it's getting kind of tough and I don't think I want to stay with it too long. I'm starting to freak out. Should I pay attention to the freak out, or should I pay attention to the sensation, or should I come back to the breath? Uh, you know, you go for walking. Should I go slowly? Oh, look like a good yogi, and maybe I'll actually figure out this lifting and placing, you know, or should I just, like, just be myself and just not care what anybody thinks, you know? Oh, God, don't they get it? Why don't they slow down, you know? <laughs> and we want to do it the right way, many of us, most of us. And there's all these kinds of messages that come through our head saying, you should really do it this way. No, I think you should do it this way. You know, don't be lazy, you know. Give it your all. Don't be a macho meditator. Just kick, you know, relax. That they said to relax, relax. 
So um, I wanted to talk first a bit about working with all of these thoughts and then uh, about um, coming into some sense of trust with one's life. Mm, uh, a number of people wrote me notes after I mentioned in the, the, the morning uh, question and answer. I said, well, there's lots of different methods. You know, Could you please tell me those methods? You know? What are those five methods? You know? So I thought I'd start by sharing a little bit about the Buddha's different methods for working with thoughts and then um, use that to, uh, to go into the next part of the talk, which is, uh, you know, which is relevant, um, a relevant segue to it. So here is first the Buddha's discourse, the discourse of the Buddha, the Vitaka Santana Sutta, on the Sutta on, the Sutta is discourse, or Sutra, Sutta, the Sutta on the removal of distracting thoughts. Sounds good, huh? And this is um, talking about when one is really trying to focus the mind, concentrate the mind, and you, we can apply it that when you are trying to do this practice and bring mindfulness to bear to w what is going on, obviously the first strategy is to be mindful and notice what's happening. We've said that a number of times. Just notice what's happening now. Let it be how it is and bring that kind, relaxed, interested awareness to it. Doesn't always work, as you might have seen for yourself. <clears throat> so, here's the, the Buddha. When a practitioner is pursuing the higher mind, developing one's mind, from time to time one should give attention to five things. What are these five? Here, when a practitioner is giving attention to some thought and owing to that thought there arise in him or her unwholesome thoughts connected with desire with hatred with delusion then one should give attention to some other thought connected with what is wholesome when one gives attention to another thought connected with what's wholesome then those unwholesome thoughts subside and with the abandoning of them, his, the mind becomes steady, internally quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. And then there's a, a, a simile given for each of, of these. Just as a skilled carpenter or his apprentice might knock out, remove, and extract a coarse peg by means of a fine one, so too when a practitioner gives attention to some other, other thought connected with what's wholesome, mind becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. Okay, so the first one, you've got some unwholesome thoughts, greed, hatred, delusion, jealousy, uh, obsession, you know those, right? And they say, he says to substitute, what, to give attention to some thought connected with what is wholesome instead. What does that mean? And uh, we can do a little bit of a, of a dialogue here. Suppose you've got um, thoughts of anger and rage. Any, can you, and the mindfulness isn't strong enough. You just say, okay, rage, 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 uh, and you realize you're still in rage, okay? What might be uh, some, a wholesome thought that you could substitute? Anyone? Huh? Metta, loving kindness, a perfect antidote. Okay, so maybe not for the person that you're fully enraged about. That's advanced loving kindness, if you can do it from that moment. But maybe somebody who you really care about. You know, and just, you know, your children or your, your loved one or your dear friend or a benefactor. Mm, may you be happy and just kind of softens the heart a bit. Suppose there's thoughts of um, 
doubt. I can't do this. This is crazy. What, what are we doing here? Any idea if after looking at the doubt or feeling the doubt, you, uh, you need some other antidote? Want to uh, take a guess? Confidence. And what would, where, who said that? And what, what, would, uh, what would confidence look like? How would you? Okay, so remembering a time where you got through it before and that gives you faith. Faith or confidence. Or you might think of somebody who inspires you. Or you might think of, you know, taking refuge in the Buddha. And, you know, he said, it's possible to do this. One of my favorite lines uh, in, in all the teachings, the Buddha says, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. Pretty straightforward. Right. It is possible, and this is why I teach. So, that idea—just substituting what's unwholesome, unwholesome, substituting wholesome for what's unwholesome. If you are in the middle of obsession or lust, a classical antidote is thinking, of reflecting about impermanence. Is this going to do it? You know, is that going to do it? You know, whether it's your car, you know, oh, if I had a Porsche, then I'd be happy, right? That would be interesting thought. Even if you got a Porsche, will that do it? Will that finally do it? Or I know if I'm with this person, I'm going to be happily ever after. You know. Let me know if that happens. Relationships are work. I believe in them completely. I'm in a great relationship for 30 years now. As good as it is, it's work. You know, after the dopamine <laughs> leaves after about 18 months, and <clears throat> it's like, oh, who is this person now? <laughs> so you kind of reflect on what is this object of desire that I know is going to do it for me? Oh, well. It changes. So that's the first <coughs> worthwhile, well worthwhile working on a relationship, but um, it's an ongoing change and transforming organic development. So that's the first suggestion. Second one, he says, it might not work. Goes on to the second. If while giving attention to some other sign connected with what's wholesome, there still arise unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion, then one should examine the danger in those thoughts. Thus, these thoughts are unwholesome. They result in suffering. And when examining the danger in those thoughts, then the unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion are abandoned and subside. Here's the metaphor, the simile. Just as a man or a woman, young, youthful, and fond of ornaments would be horrified, humiliated, and disgusted if the carcass of a snake or a dog or a human being were hung around his or her neck, so too when a practitioner examining the dangers in those thoughts sees them the mind be- and lets them go, the mind becomes steadied, brought to singleness, and concentrated. Okay, A kind of image that sticks in your mind. (laughs) What does that mean? It's another way of saying that common colloquial expression, don't even go there. (laughs) You ever say that one? Let's not go there. And you can use this, suppose you have an obsessive thought of work or relationship. And instead of jumping on the train, you might just notice, oh, you know, Bob thoughts or job thoughts or whatever, and put it in a, in a frame so you don't necessarily jump on it. Um, it can be very effective to just name that pattern of thought. Oh, here's, here's uh, um, 
planning or remembering or whatever. It's good to ha give it a humorous name too. It gives a little bit of lightness to it. But that might not work. On to the third. If while examining the danger in those thoughts, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should try to forget those thoughts and not give attention to them. When trying to forget them and not giving attention, then those unwholesome thoughts sub, uh, are abandoned and subside and the mind be, is, is quieted down. Just as a person with good eyes who did not want to see forms that had come within range of sight would either shut their eyes or look away, so too when a practitioner tries to forget those thoughts and got, not give attention to them, mind becomes quieted and concentrated. Okay. That means... <clears throat> well, any idea what that might mean? This is known as the teaching on forgetfulness and inattention. The Buddha taught forgetfulness and inattention. He said, if you're really having trouble with a particular train of thought or a particular experience, turn your attention someplace else. This is different than substituting metta for uh, for anger. This is seeing what is happening right now in your experience that you can turn your awareness to. Like for instance, suppose you've got a, a strong pain in your body and it's not going away. It's just there no matter what you do. You don't need to keep on looking at it because the mind gets very tired, withered. Fa withered is the, is the word sometimes used in the teachings. And fatigued. Then you can turn your attention, open up to sounds. Just take a break or notice a place where you're not hurting. And the same way with, uh, with getting lost in your thoughts. Sometimes it can be a very simple and effective thing to just, okay, somebody comes in and they're all over the, the map. And if you simply say, can you feel your feet right now? Can you feel yourself sitting here on the chair? It's like, oh, oh yeah. That's right, I can. And it takes it off that spin cycle in the mind. So it can be very effective. Might not work though. There's a fourth one. If while trying to forget those thoughts and not give attention to them, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should give attention to stilling the thought formation of those thoughts. When doing so, those thoughts unwholesome thoughts are abandoned and subside. Just as a person walking fast might consider, why am I walking fast? What if I walk slowly? And they walk slowly. Then they might consider, why am I walking slowly? What if I stand? And they would stand. Then they might consider, why am I standing? What if I sit? And then he would, they would sit. And then they might consider, why am I sitting? What if I lie down? Sounding better all the time. Huh? And they'd lie down. By doing so, they'd substitute each grosser posture for one that's subtler. So too, when giving attention to stilling the thought formations of those thoughts, the mind becomes steady, quieted, and concentrated. So there's two interpretations that I've seen for this. One is the obvious one, relax. If you're getting so wound up, just relax. Okay, lighten up. Get some space in the mind. And you probably have seen how effective that can be. It can be the most skillful thing to go for a walk, just let go, or to have a cup of tea because you're just getting so tight. It can be very skillful. Or another interpretation is going to the source of those thoughts. Where do those thoughts come from? They come from, you know, as Howie did in the, the meditation this morning, you know, just... They just appear in the space, uh, the vast space of sky. And remembering this, the sky or that, that ground of being out of which the thoughts arise. And they just kind of bubble up, do their thing, and then go. <clears throat> so, that's a fourth. Still might not work. Last, which I say with some caution. If while giving attention to stilling the thought formations of those thoughts, 
there still arise unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion. Then with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. With teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one beats down, constrains, crushes mind with mind, then those unwholesome thoughts are abandoned and subside. Just as a strong man might seize a weaker man by the head or shoulders and beat him down, constrain, and crush him, so too when the teeth, with teeth clenched and tongue pressed, the practitioner beats down, crushes mind with mind, the mind becomes steady, quieted, and concentrated. Now you might say, come on, <laughs> give me a break. You, know, you first have to remember that the Buddha was a warrior. He came from the warrior caste, the Kshatriya caste. And a lot of the images are warrior-like. As I said the other day, um, this, is, this should be done with great delicacy. I have not seen it work if you get angry with your thoughts and you beat them down because that aversion just feeds them. But just like we said the other day, as a, a parent says, no, not okay, with a lot of love, enough, as a kid is about to run out into the street, no, you can't do that, come on back. We can sometimes do that with ourselves and say, enough, Anybody have that experience where you just say that to yourself? But you can't do it with anger. It's got to be that kind of tough love where you say, okay, that's enough, dear, not now. So those are five other methods. Got it? Now, where's the teaching in that? Hmm. We want to do it the right way. And often the thought, am I doing it right, is one of the main things that people come into interviews with. There is no one right way. That's why there's five methods beyond, um, besides mindfulness that he gives, and there's probably plenty more that you've come in touch with on your own. And if you're looking for the one right way, I used to think... There in, in, in the big book in the sky, you remember, if, you, uh, if you had a math textbook, I remember when I was going to school and in the back of the book were all the answers, right? And you just kind of like restrain yourself from looking, you know? I used to think there was one right answer. For, if I could just find the right answer, I'd be free. I'd, be, I'd make it. There's no one right answer. That's why there's all these different methods and why the Buddha was the, the master of skillful means because there's so many different methods for depending upon the personality or temperament of, of who it is that he was teaching. He gave different practices. Jack Cornfield uh, uh, put together a wonderful book called Living Dharma of 12 different Vipassana masters from Thailand and Burma and their different styles and, and different approaches to Vipassana. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them saying, this is the real way to do Vipassana. And it's great. You read one after another and you see, oh, how can this guy saying this is the real way and this guy saying this is the real way? You know, There's many, many different ways to develop mindfulness. And sometimes you come into a, an interview and, and you share what, what's going on. The teacher says, uh, you know, you ask for some support and they give you some advice and you, say, and you say, wow, they are so right on. It just worked. So how did they know that was the right answer? You might have gone to another teacher who gave you another kind of advice and you'd be saying the same thing, you know. There's lots of different ways. So, <clears throat> who do you trust? 
This is uh, from the Buddha. He says, the famous Kalama Sutta, where he he is asked by these villagers, who's telling the truth? All these different teachers say that they have the truth and now you say you have the truth. We're filled with doubt. It is indeed Kalama's fitting to be uncertain, fitting to doubt. You should decide what's true, Kalamas, not by what you've heard, not by following convention, not by assuming it is so, not by relying on the texts, not because of reasoning, not because of logic, not by thinking about explanations, not by acquiescing to the views that you prefer, not because it appears likely and certainly not out of respect for a teacher. But when you would know Kalamas, for yourselves, these things are unhealthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined towards harm and suffering, then you should reject them. And when you would know for yourselves, these things are healthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined towards welfare and happiness, then, having come to them, you should stay with them. When you would know for yourselves, and that includes not by acquiescing to views that you prefer. That means you've got to check it out for yourself. And ultimately, you're the one. What does that mean? Oh, am I supposed to listen to myself? Gosh, how do I do that? There's all of these voices we said at the beginning. Well, you listen to yourself anyway, right? Even when it's the voices that are saying, watch out, you're going to blow it, you jerk. You listen to that voice sometimes too. The trick is to learn how to listen to the wise voices, how to really listen inside so you can trust. It's not so much trusting in, in yourself as much as trusting in the wisdom that's inside and trusting in the awareness without identifying with it, without saying, I'm so clever. How do you listen? Now, this is at the beginning of the retreat where we took refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha. This is what we're talking about. Taking refuge in the Buddha taking refuge in that place inside of you that really knows. And that's different from James knowing. Yep, I'm pretty smart, I know. As Ajahn Chah would say, the one who knows. Or trusting in your Buddha knowing. I think I talked about it before here about insights. You know, when you, when you have an insight and you go, aha, it means that you let go of your figuring out mind. Isn't that so? And then something shines through. There's a, a, a great book by Krishnamurti that maybe you're familiar with called Freedom from the Known. And the title says it all, freedom from the known. Freedom from what you already think you know to see something fresh. And that means letting go of figuring out and letting go of thinking that you know the answer. Sun Sanim, somebody was talking about Sun Sanim. Was it in, in the talk? Yeah. Um, it was in our conversation. Uh, Sun Sanim, this Korean Zen master uh, who... His, his one of his main teachings was just keep don't know mind, and he'd have this his thick Korean accent. You know, where did you come from? Don't know. He'd say, you know, <laughs> what's the meaning of life? Don't know. You know, where are you going to? Don't know. You know, he said, just keep this don't know mind, and everything will be revealed. Not easy to do, but that's the secret. 
like that third Zen patriarch line, stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. That is how it works. It's different from analyzing. It's different from the figuring out mind. Somebody was talking about, um, a couple of people came in. You know, they start to say, you know, why am I, why does my mind go like that or what? And I just want you to know why is a very dangerous word in this process because why almost always gets you into figuring out mode and analyzing. And that's just the mind imposing a tight reality to want to feel secure. This is a letter from from somebody who is on their first retreat who was giving herself a really hard time and at the end of the retreat, she finally got it. I, she kept on hearing this and, it, and some, it sank in at the end. The one thing that's indelible in my brain right now is finally getting, you don't have to figure it out. That would never ever register in my mind as an option before. Yesterday, I was walking and struggling and thinking round and round in my mind and this voice came into my head that said, you don't have to figure it out. And I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and the various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. What a relief to let go of figuring it out. Because if you can listen, it's all in there. You're a Buddha right in there. And it, it reminds me, Michelangelo, you know the story, Michelangelo, after he um, uh, he had created the statue David, some, somebody was lavishing praise on him saying, wow, you know, amazing to have this skill in, in creating this masterpiece. You know? And Michelangelo brushed, brushed the compliment aside and saying, the man was already in the stone. I merely removed all the pieces of rock that kept him from being seen. <laughs> Ooh, I get goosebumps when I hear that. There's a Buddha right inside there if you can clear away the obscurations. And what is here, this is not just a line taking refuge in the Buddha. That's what we're, we're talking about. This is the, the Buddha saying, luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit it. This unlearned people do not really understand and so do not cultivate the mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, free of the attachments that visit it. This, the noble follower of the way, really understands. So for them, there is cultivation of the mind. Or another Nyosho Kempo, great Tibetan master. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself, is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure, unalloyed, and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing your true nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. So, how do we get in touch with that natural state of wisdom and love? I wanted to offer a few um, approaches that I find helpful that maybe you can take with you. <clears throat> First is to get out of the way, like I said, by not trying to figure it out this is the miracle of mindfulness. 
that when you throw yourself into the moment, when you are willing to just see what's here right now, something very mysterious and miraculous happens. And it's, it's amazing you know, to see the trajectory of a retreat. The first day or two, people are saying, are just kind of hanging, you know, by the skin of their teeth, you know, oh my God. And then, you know, not everybody, but it was quite extraordinary on the third day, like, oh, wow, this is okay. Oh, I actually had a few moments where I liked being here, you know. (laughs) Oh, I saw something I hadn't seen before. Oh, gee, my heart's starting to open up a bit. Oh, it's amazing to be alive. And and those moments of gratitude just start coming more and more. And the gratitude is really, it, it's gratitude for, for life, really. And you're not trying to manufacture that. All you're doing is trying to feel your breath come in and go out and lift your foot and put it down. But something starts to happen. Isn't it amazing? It, it, it never ceases to amaze me how this stuff really does work. So to get out of the way and to, to trust that you have what you need in this moment is quite extraordinary. To take refuge in that Buddha that will discover sooner or later what it's looking for. To take refuge in the Dharma is something else that bears looking into deeply. What does that mean to take refuge in the Dharma? It means that every moment you're given just what you need to wake up. If you realize it, if you see it, every moment is here for you as a gift. Not just, oh, here's another blessing in your life. You know, you need to learn patience. Okay, you know, have some kids. That'll, that's one way to, to learn it, you know. <laughs> or be in a meditation hall and say, wow, this is so hard. I don't know if I can make it. And then you make it and say, oh, wow, I can. How about that? All the difficulties, when you think about your whole life and all the lessons that you've learned, chances are most of them didn't come in the middle of bliss states. Those are just gifts and gravy and, you know, amazing grace. The lessons, the hard lessons, the ones that deepen us, that give us character, are the ones where we make it through and we see, wow, there's some, something inside that can, that can open up to this too. Wow, maybe I'm stronger than I realized I was. Maybe I'm, I have what it takes to get through. I love telling the story of, uh, of one of somebody who really inspires me, this woman, uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, who maybe some of you are familiar with. She's, she's the one who was up in the, in the tree for two years and, and eight days. Um, and to save the, uh, protect rainforest, to protect uh, old redwood uh, forests. And uh, she, and she went up in the, one of the worst years on record, record, uh, at the El Nino year of 1998, the, the worst, wettest on record. She went up thinking she was just going to stay up there for like two or three weeks, had never done anything like this before, right? and went up pretty ill-prepared. She goes up. She didn't, nobody knew El Nino was, was, was coming, that it was El Nino. Right? And there's this incredible storm and she's like holding on for dear life. You know, oh my God. And she, she, she gets through it and she says, oh, 
God, give me the strength to know that I can get through this. She makes that prayer. Right after she makes this prayer, a worse storm comes, right? Worse than the one that she thought was the worst that it could be. She gets through it, and miraculously she holds on, and she says, oh, show me that I have the strength to get through this ordeal. A worse storm comes. Even She keeps on doing this, like about four or five times, as I recall. Finally, she realizes, oh, every time I'm asking to, to see if I have the strength to get through it, I get another storm. I think I got the idea. Thank you. That's how it works. We go through it and we say, oh, wow, I can get through this. I'm stronger than I thought. I have the resilience. I have the courage that I thought I was just a coward. Oh, my goodness. How about that? And the mindfulness reveals that. Just stay one moment at a time, not, oh my goodness, will I ever make it to the end of the day? Just this moment, and now this moment, and now this moment. Another source of confidence and trust, besides refuge in the Buddha inside of you and refuge in the Dharma, that life is giving you just what you need, um, is confidence in the, the Sangha. People have been doing this for thousands of years. There must be something to it. Right? But how to get in touch with your trust in your own mind? Let's get back to that. This is where the practice is, is more than simply being here in this moment. I see this practice as learning to listen, learning how to listen really skillfully. What we're doing is listening to the truth in each moment. Here's the breath. Here's a sound. Here's a sensation. Here's a heartache. Here's an emotion. Here's a thought. And you're learning to listen and see what's true right now so you get better and better at listening to the truth that's right inside. The, the, um, the image that I love is the uh, Tibetan um, iconography. Uh, one of the great yogis in Tibetan practice is the uh, yogi Milarepa. And... You, um, you can always tell it's Milarepa because he has his hand to his ear. And if you see hand to, oh, that's Milarepa. He's listening to the 100,000 songs of the Dharma. That's what we're doing. We're listening to the song of the Dharma. We're listening to the song of the truth right inside. There's so many different thoughts, so many different messages that are coming through. How can you tell that it's one that you can trust? Well, think of a time where you made a good decision and you trusted it. How did you know? Let's just take a few comments. How do you know when you are able to hear the truth? What is it like? Anyone? Grace? Seems like everything settles down, gets really sharp, and you're right here. Great. There's, there's many different ways, just like in the, the discourse. How do you know? Everything falls into place. Good. Yeah. A visceral sense of rightness. And just describe maybe if you if you would what's that? Oh what in your stomach? What? There's a
Okay, just a feeling in, in her stomach. What, what, what else? There's some feelings that you, can, that you can check in with. How do you know? Now, absolutely no doubt. And what I want to do is just get refine this and say, how do you know there's no doubt? What kind of cues do you look for? Mm-hmm. Calmness, okay, alignment, somebody said, or, or just uh, rightness. What else? Okay, something's freed up. There's an opening. There's an expansion that happens, yeah. Anything else? Really? Okay, there's a clarity that everything kind of comes into focus and you're not just scattered. Yeah, great. You can feel it. I'll just go on because I have a few more things to say. There's lots of ways to feel it and there's no one right way. And you might find different times you'll feel different things but one place you can feel it is right in your body like your your stomach your belly or your heart or or something just releases and then there's not that tension there's not that nodding there's not that fretting it's just a release another way you can feel it is in your mind the tone what's the tone of of the words that are coming through. They're gentler, yeah, gentler. Anything else? Yeah. Soothing, yeah. There's lots of different thoughts that come through. You know, the ones that come through with a finger wag. You better do this or you're gonna blow it, you jerk. You know, this is not the voice of wisdom, right? Or what if you do this and you blow it and why did she do that? You can hear the tone. It's very different from the one that's coming through. This feels right. Or no, this doesn't feel right. It's supportive. It's kind. It's wise. It's solid. And in your body, when you're coming through, they're coming through like that. It's really tight. That's the voice of fear. And my rule is I don't let fear run the show. Okay? If it's the voice of fear and you start, if you start to become familiar with it, then it's, uh, it's, it, you kind of have your radar out for it. So if I hear that, that voice of fear, as I said to somebody uh, yesterday, what I do, I, I put it in, take it out of the driver's seat, put it in the passenger seat, put a seatbelt around it, maybe put a helmet on it and say, yes, dear, we respect you, we honor you, okay, but you don't get the keys to the car, thank you. We'll, 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 we'll care for you. We love you. Yeah. And you should. Yeah. But not that that ride, rides, drives the car. And wait until the voice of clarity or that voice of kindness comes through. You know that. We can all hear that. If we can listen carefully enough, we can begin to recognize and hear that voice of truth. Doesn't mean that you'll never make mistakes, but given the information you have now, that's all the information you can go by, and it's even okay to make mistakes. I tell this story um uh in the in the in the book and i've i've shared it before uh on retreat where i was afraid of making a mistake in in my life you know i was at a crossroads in my life this is in uh 1977 i'd been teaching school for in in new york uh mostly 5th and 6th grade for a number of years and i really enjoyed it for most of that time but at some point it started getting old um, by the way, any school teachers here? Any others? Thank you. The most, I think, the most important and underappreciated job. Um, so, I was 
time to move on. I'd been I'd fallen in love with the Dharma by then, and um, I if you don't have the energy to meet the kids, you know very quickly, and, and it's not them, it's you. But I was making seventeen thousand dollars a year at that time, and that was big bucks, and I didn't I was afraid to leave, right? So I thought, well, maybe I'll just stay and teach for a little longer, you know. Or maybe go up to the uh, meditation center in Massachusetts that I'd sat the three-month course and, uh, and be closer to my teachers and being in the, in the, held in the Dharma. Or maybe go move to California. I had been given an invitation by a friend, come on out here, and I'd fallen in love with California on a trip there. And, um, or maybe I'd do my Asian experience. I finally meet all these masters that I'd heard about. And I didn't want to blow it. I was afraid of making a mistake, right? I went round and round in my brain, like she said, and didn't know what to do. Finally, I, I, each summer I'd go out to Colorado and I'd uh, um, be at Naropa Institute and uh, do the summer program there and be in the Dharma scene. And I, I was... I couldn't figure out the right answer. And then I remembered, I know I'm going to go to this guy who I'd gone to before, a very wise man who lived in Denver, Colorado, uh, named Reverend Miller. He was a psychic. $5 a reading. <laughs> he was not in it for the money. Right? And he was really wise. I'm going to see Reverend Miller. I'd seen him before in the last few years. Okay, and I went there, and he, he looked a lot like Colonel Sanders, right? <laughs> but really, a, but a loving Colonel Sanders, right? And uh, he had that little goatee. And, and anyway, I, I gave him the options, and I said, what should I do? He said, well, I won't tell you what to do, I thought, oh, shit. He said, but I will tell you one thing. Yeah? He said, doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? It's my life you're talking about. You know, I, I, was, I was a little bit annoyed, you know. And then he proceeded to give me the best $5 advice I ever got. Mm -hmm. He said... He believed in spirit guides and, and uh, you know, forces that support you. That was his way of seeing things. He said, you know, if you are frozen in indecision and you're afraid of making a mistake, your guides can't help you. And there you are just stuck and frozen. But given the information that you have, if you take the next step that feels right, and you put yourself in motion, you'll know. Then your guides will support you. You'll go one way and you'll say either, yeah, this is right. Or you might say, no, this isn't right. I think maybe I should try another option. Or you might take that first option and something opens up that you never could have imagined in the first place would have opened up. So he said, in any event, any way you choose, it doesn't matter. Just put yourself in motion and listen to how your life is unfolding and trust in life. It's here for you. It will support you. All you need to do is keep showing up and listening. And that's what we're doing we're learning more and more to show up, listen to the truth, and take the next step as best we can, making sure we're facing in the right direction. That's the key, the direction in towards greater happiness, towards greater alignment with our values, towards where real happiness lies. And then you see that life was here for you all along, Life, you can trust in life. Uh, Einstein has this, this line. He says, maybe the most important question a human being can ask is, 
Is the universe friendly or not? If you don't think it's friendly, it won't be. If you do think it's friendly, you will have at least the support around you. Not that everything's going to work out all the time. You know, there's a, there's a great Sufi saying, trust in Allah and tie your camel to the post. <laughs> you know? It's not like you just go, la la, everything's going to work out. But you know, you, if you have your eyes wide open and you see that everything you're given is here for you to help you wake up, then um, you begin to relax a bit and listen to the rhythm of your life. There's a, an image that I, I like to use around this trust um, of um, learning to swim. Remember when you were learning to swim and somebody put you in a pool and they said, you know, go ahead, go ahead, Johnny, you know, start treading water. And you're going like this, you're going up and down, you're bobbing, you know, and they say, just relax. You say, relax, I'm, I'm drowning here, right? <laughs> and then you finally get treading water. Isn't that miraculous? Oh, do a little bit less and the water's here to support me. And then that, amazingly magical moment where you let go completely and you just stop everything and you realize the water was here ready to support you all along as you go from flailing to floating. Life is here to support you if you show up and do your part. And as you do that, not only will you be supported, but you'll keep on waking up and realize the full potential that's right inside of you. Bigger and more amazing than you could ever have imagined. As the Buddha in you shines through. This is uh, a poem to close by Dana Falls, <clears throat> my favorite writer. This is from, let's see, I'm not sure which this, this is from. No. <clears throat> she's on, I have the, uh, there's a, a book list and she's on, her books are on the book list. You mean to say that I am plugged into the same socket as that electric blue sky? So vibrant that I want to lose myself in its azure height? You mean that the same juice that runs the universe flows through me like a love song or a bolt of lightning? You mean life isn't about being good or perfect or virtuous? but daring to freely follow energy? Are you trying to say in your slow and patient way that the presence of God is everywhere? That even as I bumble through my life, I have no reason to hide? That I'm not a sinner, but a conduit for light? That even when I'm dull and uninspired, the seeds of my awareness are sprouting even now? How utterly audacious. But I know you're right. Holding back just leaves me feeling less alive. While letting go leads, well, I don't know where it leads, but I know that's where I'm heading. So let's sit for a moment.
thanks for your attention. <laughs> uh, before you go, Just an, a few announcements before you go. Turn that off. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.